1: EPL 25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadewa. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast. Today is Friday. It is the 15th of September. We are motoring through September. And um, there's not a whole lot going on, really. Piss and rain again, though, so, you know, cheers for that. Uh, We've had some contracts in the couple of days that I've been away. Uh, Kyle Walker has signed a new two-year contract extension. To tie himself to Manchester City until 2026. In my in my view, the whole dalliance with Byron was just aimed at getting a two year extension rather than the one year extension that was being offered to him. And fair play. It worked out for him. Um, we also had the news that Joe Pallinia and Harrison Reed have signed new contracts at Fulham. Now, the Harrison Reed one is not a surprise. The Joe Pollinha one is a surprise. But if I had to guess, I would bet that there is a, a buyout clause for next summer, a release clause in around the 45 to 50 million pound range and that he's just agreed to stay for the season. And that that does change the forecast on Fulham, very much so. I think that will pretty much guarantee their safety because I think he's so good and so important for them. So uh, I, I had them 17th. I would suggest that now they will be more comfortable than that. Um Jaden Sancho will train away from Manchester United's first team until issues with Eric Ten Hag are resolved. Those being, I assume, Ten Hag scapegoating the player and blaming him for everything. Ten Hag himself has come out and said that there was a, a bad culture at the club when he took over. Um I'm not really sure that's the truth considering one of the biggest issues of the club is someone you signed. But Ten Hag said, it is my job to control the standards. Strict lines is what the club asked me to bring in, because it was no good culture before I entered last season. Of course, it is never someone who only makes one mistake. It is a whole process before you come to a certain outcome about strict lines. If staff or players or whoever, there is a structure to cross lines, you have to be strong. This is a man who publicly backed Mark Overmars after he was caught being some sort of deviant, uh, who then was more than happy to reintegrate Mason Greenwood into his Manchester United team after what Greenwood did and who has signed Anthony twice. So uh, you'll excuse me if I don't buy Eric Ten Hag's shtick on culture and strict lines and the like. Uh, Moving to another club that have been very badly run, Everton Football Club are set to have new owners. 777 partners are in the process of buying Farhad Mashiri's 94% stake in the club and they will take over. Um, Josh Wander, the 777 founder, says we are truly humbled by the opportunity to become part of the Everton family as custodians of the club. And consider it a privilege to be able to build on its proud heritage and values. Uh, They currently own a number of clubs. Um, It is worth pointing out that fans of the other clubs that they own have protested against them. Uh, Vasco da Gama is one of the clubs they own. Standard Liège is another. And Hertha Berlin and of course if you've been following along with Hertha Berlin uh they have been an absolute dumpster fire for the last couple of years now that's not on these owners i don't believe i think they inherited a really bad situation they also own shares in sevilla they bought a 45% stake in the british basketball league a deal which was determined to present no conflict of interest despite the same for, for firm owning the London Lions, who won the title in 22-23. So that's a little bit odd. Uh, it would be like, you know, the owners of Manchester City deciding to just buy the Premier League. Uh, a little bit strange. Um, there is a really good piece by Phil McNulty on the machiri reign, which has only just gone live. I read it just before I started recording. Really, really good piece by Phil on machiri and his tenure and how it will be remembered. And let's be fair, it won't be remembered fondly. Um, Other than by, you know, for those few moments, a few months, maybe when he came in and all the money was being thrown around and it was all very exciting, but you know, it's obviously been a disaster. Um, Ange Postacoglu has said that Tottenham will give Richarlison the support he needs Richarlison was pictured in tears after being substituted during Brazil's 5 1 win over Bolivia during the international break. Afterwards, the 26 year old said he would seek psychological help. Whatever Richie needs, we will help him get the space he wants, get to the space he wants to get to. He put it out there because he was quite emotional after the game, and we will give him the support he needs. But we do that for all players and most professional clubs do. We? You say that, but Manchester United clearly don't because look what's going on with Jaden Sancho. Um, Richarlison said he's been through a turbulent time off the pitch during the past five months. What I will say is that no one has a perfect life. People think footballers do things well and have all the money, but it does not make them immune from life. Now, obviously, this is something that's been kept very much under wraps. Nobody publicly seems to know uh, what he's referring to. You would hope that everything is okay and that um, that he can get himself back in a, in a strong mental health position. Um, he's still like, 26, a young player, with his whole life ahead of him, so you'd hope that uh, he can get things squared away. Another new contract, Callum Wilson has signed a one-year extension with the tune. we will keep him at the club until 2025. Michael Beal says he does not believe his job at Rangers is in peril, uh, nor does he need assurances over his position amid speculation linking other managers with the role. Interesting. For Real Madrid, youth footballers arrested over sexual video. For Real Madrid, youth players have been arrested over the alleged sharing of a sexual video featuring a minor, Spanish police have said. Uh, follows a complaint in the Canary Islands by the mother of a 16-year-old girl who appears in the video. Um, They added that while the girl said any acts were consensual, the recording was made without her consent. The video was then allegedly shared via WhatsApp. Three of the players are from Real Madrid's C team, with a fourth coming from the club's B team. Okay um so i i assume the legal part of this is the sharing of the video there hasn't been any that there's no question of things been non-consensual or, or anything being forced there's no question of I, i'm not sure what the age i'm not sure what the legal age is in spain i'm guessing it's 16 um i could be completely wrong but yeah this is obviously another another bad look for football. Uh, speaking of bad looks for football, Luis Rubiales has been given a restraining order. Uh, a judge has banned Luis Rubiales from going within two hundred meters of Jenny Hermoso. Uh, he tried to argue in the in his statement in court that it was consensual. She has very clearly made it certain known that it was not consensual. Um, he, just, he just seems like a prick, doesn't he? He really does just seem like a prick. And it's such a shame that Spanish women won the World Cup. They won the World Cup. And this prick has dominated the headlines afterwards. Spain's left-wing government reformed laws and consent in the past two years after a notorious gang rape case in 2016 that led to five men being cleared of rape. Under the so-called only yes is yes law, a non-consensual kiss can be considered an offence of sexual assault. So Rubiales could face a fine or even a jail sentence if the case goes to trial and he is found guilty. Crazy. What a prick. Uh, Leandro Bonucci is taking legal action against Juventus after claiming he was left feeling humiliated. Benucci joined Union Berlin for free in August after being frozen out of the Juve squad following a reported fallout with Massimiliano Allegri. I have decided after great suffering to pursue a lawsuit against Juventus, said Bonucci. I feel, felt drained of everything, humiliated. He spent 12 years in Turin Ch- over two spells and won the Serie A title eight times. He was left out of Allegri's squad for the pre season tour and the home friendlies prior to the start of the season. My rights stipulated that I should have trained with the team regardless of the technical choice and been put in a position to physically be able to play during the following season. This was not granted to me. I no longer trained with the team. I couldn't do what I love most. I'm pursuing this cause because people were supposed to let me end my career with Juventus in a respectful and worthy way have not done so. Good for him. Good for him. I'm glad he's fighting back. Um, there's a really good piece on the BBC website that I would advise people to read, written by Alex Byset, who I think is excellent. And it's about the president of Panic and Ethos, uh, Giannis Alafosis. and what he's doing to take on the powers that be in the country. It's really, really good, really well written, as is always the case with his work. Uh, I do highly recommend everybody giving that one a read. Um, I think we've just got the gossip before we go to the break. And after the break, we will bring in Young Drinkle, and have a wee chat with him to preview and predict this weekend's games. Uh, speaking of predicting this weekend's games, do make sure you check out a tad predictable. Tadiwa had a new guest on this week, Amelia. She is a ambassador for Her Game too, and the Fulham Women Supporters Group co-founder. So do check that out. Give today a listen. You should give today a listen every week and make sure you give uh, Amelia an opportunity to uh, prove that she knows more about predicting football than I do, because I will absolutely get most of my predictions with Guy wrong, because that is just what I do. Uh, we have three days of gossip, which is exciting. So let's jump in. Barcelona are planning a move for Erling Haaland. No, they are not, because Barcelona are broke. They are not planning anything of the sort. Manchester City and Portugal midfielder Bernardo Silva negotiated a £50 million release clause into his new contract. He is considering joining Barcelona next summer. Um, Bernardo is now 29. When will Bernardo turn 30? We can come back to that. Former Bayern Munich manager Julian Nagelsmann is under is still under contract at the club but they will not ask for fee if the German Football Association wants him as national team manager. This is a weird thing that Bayern have done where they've they rather than doing what most clubs do and just pay the manager out or you know agree some sort of terms for payment following his departure. Bayern are keeping Nagelsmann under contract. He's basically on like some sort of weird gardening leave. And if a club wants him, they're going to have to pay for him, which is a little bit strange. David Moyes has not ruled out signing Jesse Lingard, who is a free agent in training with the club. Okay. Um, Bernardo just turned 29. He'll be 30 going into next season. Now he should age pretty well. This game isn't reliant on physicality, but he is does rely a little bit on his pace it's crazy that he is that age. He's been at City a long time now. He's one of Pep's first signings, isn't he? Um, Chelsea defender Trevo Chalaba does not expect to play a prominent role when he returns from a hamstring injury, which is unfortunate. Juventus can terminate Paul Pogba's contract if he is banned for doping. They'd probably like to do that. The Premier League is facing pressure from senior figures in the UK government over the potential Takeover of Everton by US investment firm 777 Partners. I'm not sure what that's meant to mean. Burnley and Crystal Palace are monitoring Colchester's 19-year-old English forward, Bradley Ehunvian. I apologize to Bradley's family. I can't pronounce your surname. The Football Association will resist any attempt by Ireland to appoint Lee Carsley should Stephen Kenny be sacked. I'm not sure they can actually do much of anything. If he wants to take the job, he would be my top choice, um, considering the other option appears to be Steve Bruce. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, he's done a great job with the England Under 21s. Paris Saint Germain have drawn up a shortlist of five Real Madrid players they will target in response to the club's pursuit of Kylian Mbappe. Okay. This is what happened when Barca tried to sign uh, Verratti. So PSG just paid Neymar's release clause to teach them a lesson. Norway midfielder Martin Odegaard said he does not have much to did not have much to say during contract extension talks at Arsenal, but that he is very happy. Okay, uh, several Turkish clubs are preparing loan offers for Malang Sar before their transfer window closes, which is today. Uh, Adana Demispor and Istanbul Beşiktaş. Besik- Besik- have made loan offers for Emmanuel Dennis, who was ruled out joining CSKA. I think Forrest should be keeping him and using him this season because with Brendan Johnson gone, they could do it that second forward. And I know they've got a Lang and they've got a couple of others, but I think he's the best of the group. Leon are considering appointing Frank Lampard. They don't need to say any more on that. Fenerbahce have added Andre Gomes to their list of targets. I'm sure Everton would love to be rid of his wages. Chelsea are keen on Ivan Toney. Uh, He's due to return to training this week. Juventus are lining up Thomas Partey. Uh, No, they're not. They're they're just not. He's no, they're just not. Um, Manchester United England defender Harry Maguire was very close to joining West Ham in a 30 million deal, says Kevin Nolan, who's an uh, assistant manager at West Ham. Tensions between. Eric Ten Hag and Jaden Sancho have risen to the level where football director John Murto and Chief Executive Richard, Richard Arnold have stepped in to try and resolve things. It, it, to me, from the outside looking in, based on everything that's available to the public knowledge, it just looks like Ten Hag's a bit of a bell if you're on if if I'm being honest. Qatari banker Sheik Jassim bin Hamad El Tani and British businessman Sir Jim Radcliffe. Will be patient in their attempts to buy Manchester United after reports the Glazers would wait until 2025 to sell the club. Uh, Newcastle manager Eddie Howe still has the support of the board at Newcastle. The prospect of takeover by Everton of Everton by American owners could be a lengthy process as the Premier League makes sure no rules will be broken. Okay. Uh, John Joe Shelby is close to moving to Turkey. Uh, Jurgen Klopp has ruled out becoming Germany manager Clubs in Turkey and Qatar are being sounded out as United look to offload Donny Van Van de Beek Van de Beek looks likely to stay until January It's it's the Mirror saying he's likely to stay and 90minute.com saying Clubs in Turkey and Qatar So while both are dreadful we'll we'll go with the the Mirror as slightly better than 90minute.com Manchester United's Twenty-year-old Tunisian midfielder Hannibal Meshbury is wanted on loan by Besiktas. Eden Hazard is contemplating retirement after being released by Real Madrid. Everybody knows that he said so himself. So you don't need to pay a subscription to Caught Offside for that titbit of information. Ex-Chelsea and Brighton manager Graham Potter has turned down the manager's jobs at Rangers and Leon. He hasn't been offered the Rangers job. I don't blame him for turning down the Leon job at the moment. Chelsea defender Reese James has been earmarked by Real Madrid as a long-term replacement for Danny Carvial. Given his injury issues, I I wouldn't touch him with a barge pole, to be honest. Manchester City have agreed a deal in principle to sign Valentin Barco, the highly rated 19-year-old left-back from Boca Juniors. Um, I don't know who this person is. Jermaine... Garcia Grover. Who are you? Okay, you're you're an Argentinian journalist. Okay, so maybe. Maybe. Arsenal midfielder Martin Odegaard and England defender Ben White are set to commit their long-term futures to Arsenal by signing new contracts. Very excited to see how much they're getting paid. Uh, Hannibal Mejbrie. Jaden Sancho needs to look after himself if he wants to salvage his career, says ex-United. Midfielder Gordon Strachan, I think he needs to leave United. Jesse Lingard continues to train with Nottingham with West Ham, but has received offers from Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Qatar and MLS. Joe Poligny could still make a move to Bayern despite signing a new contract. If, I think he might, but I think it'll be next summer. Former Chelsea and Bosnia-Herzegovina goalkeeper Asmir Begovic has labelled his old club a mid-table squad. What happened to Chelsea? It just beggar's belief. Well, you know, signing players like you didn't help. Um, It is a bit mad. It is a bit mad what's going on at Chelsea, to be fair. Um, I'm supposed to be fair to him. He does have a league title, doesn't he? Didn't he win a league title when he was there? He was there two years. Yeah, he was the backup goalkeeper on the 2016-17 title-winning team, played twice in the league. But uh, maybe it was because he he left, maybe because you left and they just all fell apart. It's the last time Chelsea won the title. Uh, Liverpool have no intention of terminating Thiago's contract. Why it was ever suggested they would is just ridiculous. Trabzonspor want to sign Thiago on a three-year deal. Istanbul, Bashikshir have agreed a loan deal to sign Emmanuel Dennis. Okay, well then that's that. Kanye Spore have reached agreement in principle with Andros Townsend. Saudi side al Shabab have opened talks with John Terry over a coaching role. <laughs> I, I saw something about John Terry the other day where he's charging people 100 quid for an autograph or 50 quid for an autograph and like 400 quid or something to have dinner with him. And I assume you have to pay for the dinner as well now. But yeah, he's just a dreadful, dreadful human being, this John Terry. Maybe he's broke. Maybe he spent all his money. Who knows? Uh, former Brighton and Chelsea manager Graham Potter is holding out for an offer of a Champions League club. Okay. Uh and Dennis are in talks of a re-signing Mario Balotelli from Swiss club Sion. Barcelona are looking to make a move for Nico Williams next summer, but Athletic Bilbao are keen to extend his contract. I think he already extended his contract. I could have sworn he already extended his contract. I could be completely wrong. Um, He's so talented, though. Someone's getting an absolute gem. No, as as things stand, he has not extended his contract. If he's available on a free next summer, clubs will line up. He will get offered a silly amount of money. A silly amount of money. Uh, Germany midfielder Julian Draxler is set to join uh, Qatari side Al-Ali... In a deal thought we were worth in excess of €20 million. Euro. So there we go. That is everything. We will go to break. And when we come back, we will be joined by Mr. Drinkle. So will see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So I am joined as always on a Friday by Mr. Guy Drinkle. How are you, sir? It's
0: the end of the international break, so I'm actually happy this time.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. International nonsense over real football is back. And we have... Ten, pretty decent games this weekend. There's a couple that are maybe not watchable, but I think there's a bunch of really good games this weekend.
0: Yeah, some weird ones chosen for TV and some that aren't as well. Um, But anywho, let's crack on. Uh, Wolves-Liverpool, Dave. I mean, Liverpool's relationship with the early kickoff after international (laughs) breaks is... Just weird at this stage. <laughs> um, I don't know why we're always the half-twelve kickoff and why it's always away from home, but they must just say we have South American lads and just go, nah, not this weekend lads. Um, but that's not really an excuse considering way Liverpool started the season and Wolves albeit have shown, shown at some promise, if I can get my words out. Um, I mean, Liverpool should win this if they are aiming to get top four comfortably this season.
1: Yeah, I mean Liverpool currently sit third. I know it's only four games in, but Liverpool are third. Wolves are fifteenth. Uh, Wolves one win, three defeats. Now, to be fair to them, they deserved something at Old Trafford. They probably should have won the game, but at the very minimal, uh, they minimum rather they deserved a win. They were walloped by by Brighton, but they got the win at Everton. Uh, you mentioned that the 1230 kickoff, saw this. I think you might have even shared it in the WhatsApp group earlier. Uh tomorrow's game versus Wolves will be Liverpool's twelfth Saturday lunchtime kickoff immediately following an international break under Jurgen Klopp. That is now double what any other team has faced, and six sorry, eight of Liverpool's have been away from home. So Liverpool have had two more. 12.30 30 kickoffs after an international break away from home than any other club has had 1230 kickoffs after an international break. That's a little bit scandalous. And that's something that the club probably should be looking into. Um, but not to worry, we go to Wolves confident. Now Wolves are Wolves will be pretty much at full strength. Joe Hodge is the only one out, he wouldn't be starting anyway. Liverpool will have no Thiago Alcantara, no Trent Alexander-Arnold, and no Virgil van Dijk, who is suspended. Darwin Nunes should be fine, and Ibu Kanate is back in training, so he's fine. So you'd imagine that both of them will play. Darwin might play off the bench, just given the travel, etc. Um, I'm going to go 3-1 to Liverpool.
0: Yeah, yeah, just... All logic says Liverpool, but we, we've seen these games turn into some horrendous not-football game. Yeah, but I mean, last won.
1: season we went there thinking we'd win comfortably as well, and we ended up getting walloped. So, you know, th- these things can happen.
0: Yes, hopefully we're a different team, now. But we'll move on to the three o'clock kick-offs. Um, Villa against Palace there. I mean, two of the teams in Palace have started off um, pretty well. Villa at home have started well. Uh, so maybe Unai Emery's finally settled into <laughs> into Aston Villa, um, but um, I mean, with it being at home, Villa the favourites, but they were missing. They've had a few injury problems, haven't they? Uh, and they'll have to start managing the squad now with the Europa League starting on the in the midweek. Oh no,
1: Europa Conference League. But
0: conference get, League, sorry.
1: Let's not get them confused. Um, yeah, I mean Villa. Noemi Martinez. Sorry, not Emmy Martinez. No Emmy Buendia, no Tyron Mings, both probably out for the season. Jacob Ramsey, they're hopeful that he could be back, but still no update on him. Uh, Alex Moreno, they're hopeful he'll be back. Uh, Tim Oreg Benham and Diego Carlos likely to be out. So they could be a little bit light at the back with no Mings and no Carlos they certainly miss Ramsey in midfield and without Ramsey not having Buendia just means they're a little less creative than I think they'd like to be. Um, Palace, on the other hand, Michael Alise out. Matthias Franke still working back from a back injury. Uh, Mark he should be fine. He obviously went off in the England game, but that was more a precaution than anything else. I imagine if it had been a competitive game he probably would have kept playing, but the fact that it was only a friendly uh, probably means that he was just taken off as a precaution. Plus
0: we need those Harry Maguire minutes.
1: (laughs) Well, that's exactly it. I mean, where would the memes come from if Harry Maguire wasn't getting to play? Palace have started the season well, two wins and a draw. Like you said, Villa have been strange. Two wins, two defeats. The manner of the defeats have been fairly comprehensive, but the manner of victory and the other two have been fairly comprehensive. They've only played one home game in the league so far, which is a little bit unusual after four games, but such is the way the computer spat the fixtures out. I would back Villa to get the win here, but I think it'll be tight. I'll go 2-1 to Unai Emery's men.
0: Yeah, I can't see either battering each other there, I don't think. Um, Next up, we have an interesting one, and obviously Luton... It's a, it's a strange one, because I, I think we've said this every Friday, we're still learning about their squad, et mm. But if if they are to stay up, they should probably be targeting these games, whereas you'd have to say the same about Fulham as well. This is one they have to win, especially with the well, turbulent wind, uh, summer window they had and start to the season's not been the prettiest. But it's a good opportunity for both teams, and if, if Luton can announce themselves with a good win over what, Many people probably consider a safe team, but maybe one that could dip into the relegation zone. It would announce them into
1: the Premier League, it would for sure. And they need that, like, they need to get that first win just to get themselves going. And even if, like, you know, if, if even if they won and then they lost the next two, at least they'd have points on the board. As things stand, it, it looks fairly worrisome for them projecting ahead. No Dan Potts, no Jordan Clark, no Gabriel Osho. Uh, Tom Lockyer should be back, and Alfie Doughty is back. For Fulham, no Woby yet. He's injured. They're, they're hopeful that he'll be back in, in the next week or two. Uh, Sasa Lukic, we're just waiting on updates, more so on him. Uh, Tom Carney is the same, but Gio should be good to go. And obviously, having just signed the new contract, I would guess he is now committed to staying for the rest of the season rather than, you know, I had expected, I think everybody expected he'd go in January. Mm. My guess is that that contract includes a buyout clause for next summer. That's around the 45 to 50 million by 50 million range. And that's how they've gotten him to sign a new contract. Obviously, there's probably a significant pay rise in it as well for Mm -hmm. him.
0: McAllister and Casado.
1: Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it gets gets the big bump in pay, but with the understanding that look, you can go and probably more similar to McAllister, where there'll be a yeah a set fee, and that's huge for them because the reason I picked them to finish seventeenth, I believe it was, was because my expectation was that he would be off in January, and with Mitrovic gone, he is now their best player by a considerable margin so i think it's huge for them to get to keep him i'm going to go for them to win this weekend i think they need the win the only win they have so far is against everton obviously they got a very good point away to arsenal but they have lost two other games and not looked particularly clever in either of them uh walloped by city obviously there was a bit of controversy in that one but they were they were so poor against brentford so so poor um yeah, I'm 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 gonna go for the, the Fulham win. I'll say two uh yeah we go two one, two one.
0: one. Yeah, should be an interesting game. Maybe not the most fun. But maybe this one will be the most fun, Dave, and that's United against Brighton. Um United's just uh I almost swore. A Show <laughs> um, at the minute for multiple reasons we won't get into. Um Whereas Brighton are the complete opposite, probably the most settled team in mm. the league. But again, similarly, as I mentioned with Aston Villa and I'll actually get the competition right this time, they do have the Europa League to to navigate for the first time um, in midweek. Man United obviously have the Champions League. I'm not sure who they play first, but uh, theirs is somewhat of a tough group of Galatasaray settle. Um, so this one should be interesting. I'm, also, I'm surprised this one isn't on
1: TV, to be honest. I'm stunned this game is not on TV. I, I really am. I, I like Wolves Liverpool is not as enticing as this game. But there's two, four, uh, two 3 p.m. kickoffs that I'm just shocked are not, um, not televised, to be completely honest. Um, United are such a mess. Like they're a mess on and off the field. They don't look like a particularly good team. They've got. Injuries and other issues like Luke Shaw is out, Manu's out, Malashi is out, Varane is out, Lissandra Martinez is a doubt, Sophie Namrabat is a doubt, Mason Mount is out, Anthony is suspended, Jaden Sancho is suspended, Ahmed Diallo is injured, and Tom Heaton is injured. Like, how
0: would you? How would you handle the right wing situation? I mean, people have been saying. Either move Mount or Bruno, but with Mount being there, you need Bruno Bruno in the midfield. I think you would anyway, to be honest. But Palestris obviously coming back from Uruguay, I presume, as well. So he's not really an option. So to, he's, he's, to no, he's
1: probably not an option for them. And, and he would have been the obvious kind of, you know, he's a winger, so just play him on the wing type of choice. You'd wonder if they regret the decision to let Elanga go. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know I, and look I suppose it is only going to be a couple of games or however long like nobody knows what's going to happen with Anthony the Sancho mm-hmm. thing is just is just poor management from a manager who I, I'm not hugely keen on I it's think the best strange, isn't it? it is it is I think the best way to do this is to play Garnacho on the right now I know yeah. he prefers to play on the left but Rashford is much better than him and Rashford is a lot better on the left than the right. So play Rashford left, Garnacho right, Bruno behind, behind Huisland. Or if it's, you know, if you start Martial and you want Huisland off the bench, then so be it. But I would play Huisland from the start because the one thing Brighton have an issue with is pace. Their centre backs are not the quickest. So I'd be starting Huisland up front with Bruno behind and then, yeah, Garnacho and, um, Garnacho and Rashford, and then an ericsson Casemiro double pivot. I think is the best they've got. The bigger question, obviously, is what happens at centre back if Martinez is injured, because then they have to start Maguire, <laughs> and it's Lindelof and Maguire, and that that is a pairing that just does not work. And then you've got one of the lower Wan Bissaka having to play left back, which is out of position for them, unless unless obviously they give the start to Regulon. But is he up to speed? Is he ready to play? I I I don't know.
0: Um Re- Re- regulars have not played properly for say three years now. Has no, he
1: has. That's he was on, on loan, and he, he's just it's been very bitty for him. Uh, Brighton, no NC, so no motor. Jacob Motor. This is taking an awful long time for him to work his way back from the ACL tear. They'd hoped he'd be back like in March, and we're now mid-September, and he's not back yet, so I don't know what the actual situation is. Evan Ferguson is a bit of a doubt, but should be okay, and they're hopeful Danny Welbeck will play. I think Brighton should win this game. I think they're the better team. They've made the better start. They're certainly better managed. They're better set up. It's a big pitch at Old Trafford, which will suit how Brighton play. And they went there last year and beat United, and I think United at the time were better than they are now. At the opening day of last season, I would have ba- backed more faith into that United team than I would mm-hmm. now, having seen Ten Hag for you know thirteen months or however long.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I- I'm going to go for the Brighton win, but that Garnacho, Hoysland, Rashford front three—if that's what United do—that could cause Brighton a lot of problems, and Brighton. We saw it against West Ham. We saw it last season against Everton. If you can frustrate them and then hit them on the counter with pace, they can be opened up. It is the flaw in the De Zerby, uh system.
0: Well, full ollie ball, I like it.
1: Full ollie ball, like that. But that's fifteen percent possession. <laughs> yeah, and just launch it into the into the gaps and and, and mm. chase. Uh, Bruno's a good long passer Ericsson's a good long passer Casemiro's a good long passer so if you can just get the ball from your back four to them and have them turn punt it (laughs) and have the other three just chase it with their pace and their power that could cause Brighton problems but I'm going to go 3-1 Brighton Yeah, it's
0: a shame Diallo's injured because it's weird the 30 mil signing just seems to have been forgotten about um, all this time but it would have been been interesting to see him get this opportunity but uh, I'm not sure when he's back either but we'll see in time. Um, still got a couple more 3 o'clock kickoffs. We've got Tottenham against Sheffield United. Um, Tottenham, one of the most fun teams at start. One of the best and most fun teams, I should say, uh, at the start of the season. And Sheffield United, um, not showing on, on the table, but they have had a couple good performances. Man City, obviously, probably should have beat uh, Everton in the last game week as well. Maybe doing a bit better than people first feared um, or worried because a lot of people had them 20th below um, Luton, but adding Cameron Archer, et cetera, makes them a bit more porn up front as well.
1: It does. It does. It gives them a real focal point for their team as well. Now, the problem they have at the moment is they've got a raft of injuries. Uh, for Spurs, no Benton no Cessignon, no Hill, no Lo Celso, and no Alfie Whiteman, but he wouldn't be playing anyway. He'd be the third-choice keeper probably. But, you know, Benton core would be probably starting. LaCelsa would be a good squad option to have, and Cessna Young just as depth at left back is important. Um, but Sheffield United, I mean, this early in the season, they're absolutely ravaged by injuries. No Max Lowe, no Ben Osborne, no John Fleck, no Rean Brewster, no Reese Norrington Orrington Davies, uh, no George Baldock, no John Egan, no, uh, um, no Daniel Jebison. Tom Davies is working back to fitness, obviously having signed in the summer, Ahmed Hazard should be fine. He didn't go on international duty. Um, so he should be okay to play. And Yasir should be okay to play, having recovered from a back injury. Spurs have been outstanding to watch and they're playing well. They're scoring goals. Ange has got them really, really on, on form quite quickly. I'm going to go for the Spurs win, and I think it could be one of those games where they really open Sheffield United up. I'm going to go 3-0 to Spurs.
0: We could get an Eric Dyer site in if Romero's been
1: late back as well. Yeah, that that's the big concern. <laughs> a- any, any Eric Dyer is too much Eric Dyer, especially in a system like, like Pasta Coglu's.
0: I'm gutted I'm missing that. Uh, we'll watch Match of the Day, don't worry. Um, I'm guessing this is the other game you surprised isn't, isn't mm. on um, UK TV, Dave, and that's West Ham against Man City. Th- these games, maybe i may be misremembering, but they seem to always be eventful or fun. Jared Bowen, I remember, scores quite a bit against um, West Ham. Um, yeah, it's a bit weird this isn't on TV. Um, but West Ham started really well. Man City... Getting the results and almost boring already. Let's be honest, <laughs> or it is from my point of view. Um, but yeah, this is a bit weird. It's not on TV,
1: especially weird considering what a good start West Ham have made to the season. Mm. You know, like we knew City'd start well. They had a fairly straightforward run, four wins and four. The only team in the con- in, in the league to be perfect so far. But West Ham, three wins and a draw. And three wins on the bounce after the opening day draw away to Bournemouth. Obviously, got really good results against Chelsea and against Brighton. Through
0: the game, um, they're probably expected to win. <laughs> yeah, we,
1: we, you know, we expected them to beat Luton. Um, we would have actually expected them to maybe beat Bournemouth as mm. well, just given the opening day. But they—that's the one they drop points in. But they're playing well. The only person that's a doubt is Soufal, but he should be okay to play. Um for City, Stones is there or thereabouts. He should be at least fit enough for the bench. Grealish is probably another week away. Kovacic is out and KDB obviously out until uh till January. But City are at at a point where it, it just almost feels inevitable that they'll win. Haaland yeah. feels inevitable. Um
0: I think West Ham do have the right centre backs to deal with. Haaland, yes, because Zoom is a physical monster, and, and he's Agard. quick and he's
1: powerful. Agard is is big and strong, good in the air, and they played what they played City quite well last season at the uh, at the London Stadium. Let me just pull that result. I remember there was a bit of controversy in that game as well.
0: Was that the game where Haaland was like celebrating? He was like having a monster fight with someone. How was that Everton?
1: I think that was Everton. Was it Everton? Yeah, that's Let me just pull this up. Uh, so they played early last season, and I remember West Ham were missing a couple of players. That's this season, so that's no use to me. To last season we go. Uh, competitions, Premier League, Manchester City.
0: I mean, whilst you're looking... Yeah, it the, was the opening
1: day of last season. Right. And City won 2-0, two goals from Haaland. The first was a penalty that wasn't a penalty. He committed the foul. Ah uh, yeah. And then he got foul. then he got hauled down and he got given a penalty. Um in a very, very bizarre decision. But if you look at the, the Brighton team, i say the, the West Ham team that played on the day, they were forced to play Ben Johnson as a centre back. Who's a five mm. nine fullback? Because they had injuries, um, they didn't have Ariola in goal because Moyes was still insistent that Fabianski was was the man of the hour. The bench options weren't great, and West Ham obviously last season started the season desperately, like they were woeful to begin last year,
0: basically till February, wasn't well, it? Huh?
1: Yeah, yeah, and then they turned things around, and even then. They still weren't good. They still lost, you know, five of their last seven games, but they managed to sort themselves out between sort of, I think, late January, February, March, and and April. They managed to get enough points on the board to survive. I think they'll give City a tough game, but I I do Mm -hmm. think City will have a bit too much for them. But I'm going to go 3-2 to City. I think this is going to be a really good game.
0: Yeah, you, you mentioned Kovacic out there. I assume it'll just be Nunes who goes in for his debut, unless he's still suspended for his his head being blown into orbit that last Wolves game. Um,
1: I think he's back. He is back. He is back. Yeah.
0: He so, is back. He must have got a Van Dyke fine for that, because he lost his, his mind. He's oh, he did, gone. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, obviously you've been a fan of him since he was a sporting. Do you think this will be more the role you remember him in, in, in Portugal?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I think you put him and Rodri together. I think that's going to be really good because Rodri is by a considerable distance, the best holding midfield player in the world. But mm. Nunes is happy enough to sit and hold and allow his partner to get forward. Like when he was at sporting, it was him and Joe Polina. Mm-hmm. Now Joe Polina is basically a poor man's Rodri in many ways, like similar build doesn't have the same ability on the ball, but gets box to box, winning, pops yeah. up for a goal. mm mm-hmm. Huge physical pro, uh, presence, really strong defensively, and Nunes and him together were were absolutely magnificent. So I I do think him and Rodri will work really well together.
0: Yeah, should be interesting. Should be interesting. Uh, moving on to the half five kickoff on this Saturday, we have Newcastle against Brentford. Dave, um, I mean, I suppose the question coming into the list is what happens if Eddie Howe loses because we. We don't know what these owners are like. Are they mental? The transfer dealings probably guess no, because they haven't just gone and spent two billion like Todd Bowley. Um, But Steve, it was easy sacking Steve Bruce, wasn't it? But we don't know how they'd react to a bad spell.
1: No, we don't. And like the thing is, sacking Steve Bruce was just a major PR win for them because he was so unpopular with the fans, which. Do you know it is still it still makes me a little bit sad just from the human side of things like I, I have no no time for steve bruce as a manager i think the style of football is is utterly dreadful great author though a great author an absolutely all-time <laughs> great author um he is currently the favorite to become the next manager of ireland which is a horrible, horrible thought. Oh, fantastic! Uh, and and you'll send your thoughts and your prayers to <laughs> me. But the thing I is, like,
0: you get a Lee Carsley. In. Oh,
1: god! Uh, that's who I want. I think Lee yeah. Carsley would be ideal. But
0: all the number tens as DMs, the dream.
1: Just be, just be so, so poor if it's if it's Steve Bruce. <laughs> but like, he is a Newcastle fan, a lifelong boyhood member of the Toon Army. And he finally got his dream job, and it was it was just a catastrophe. It was a mess. um the fans hated him he just he he couldn't win because he was put in a position to fail by an owner who the fans hated even more. and when the Saudis came in and they bought the club, obviously it meant Mike Ashley mm-hmm. was gone. We're so now the only game. person they didn't yeah. like was Steve Bruce. Yeah. And they were able to double down on that. And obviously, yeah, it, it was an easy win for...
0: He, he'll have those two minutes against Spurs when they went ahead from the first game of the Saudis. Yeah,
1: that's it. Do you know what's funny? I'm looking at a picture of Steve Bruce from 1986, when he was 26 years of age and playing for Norwich. And his nose was as busted then <laughs> as it is now. <laughs> That's an early nose break. A couple of early nose breaks in in Steve Bruce's life. You'd imagine at this point he has enough money to get it fixed. Um, this is going to be an interesting game. If I remember correctly, Newcastle battered Brentford last season. Brentford capitulated up at St James's Park. Newcastle, no Joe Willock, no Emil Kraft, Anderson, Tanali and Botman are all doubts, but they're hopeful. Uh, We'll wait and see what Eddie Howe has to say. Um, Mankeo is also a doubt. For Brentford, obviously no Ivan Toney, no Josh De Silva, no Shandon Baptiste. And Mikael Damsgaard is not expected to make this one. I'm just going to go for the Newcastle win because they're at home and they need a win. Like They need a win. They've had the Mm -hmm. toughest start of anybody. Like they have not had a straightforward, easy game thus far. They just they got handed the worst possible start with Villa, who are really good, and they battered them. Then City, who are the best team in, in Europe, and 1-0, but they were comp- comprehensively played. Then they get Liverpool. Now, let's be fair, they should have beaten Liverpool. The only reason they didn't beat Liverpool is because of themselves. And then Brighton, who are really, really good. So it's been a really tough start, but I think they will beat Brentford and get themselves moving in the right direction. I'm going to go for a 3-1 Newcastle win.
0: Yeah, it looks like Brentford have only beat Newcastle once since they got promoted, and that was the first time they faced off.
1: Yeah um, that was that was pre Saudi money so
0: Yeah uh, it was 5-1 the um, the battering last season last season yeah yeah um where are we we're moving on to Sunday um don't know why this game on telling. <laughs> telly Bournemouth against Chelsea Dave um i mean i've had fun watching bournemouth because i've watched a couple of their 3 o'clock kickoffs as well mm. um chelsea are
1: fun no I mean, no, it's fun not.
0: for us to watch Chelsea, but it's not a fun team to watch.
1: Yeah, they're more funny than fun. Yes. Um, and so many injuries at the moment as well. Like, no Wes Fafana, no Nkunku, no Lavia, no Chukwemeka, no Brohia, no Bettinelli, no Reese James. Uh, Chalab is a major doubt, and Badia Sheila is still working his way back. So, like, it's a lot. Nine players and a, and a lot of money. Like, there's a lot of money just lost there. Mm. Badishile was 35 million, Chukwemeka was 20, Lavia was 60, and Kunku was 60, and I think Fafana was the better part of 70. So it's a lot of money, but look, Todd Bowley has thrown money around like it's going out of fashion. Uh Bournemouth, no Alex Scott, no Oatara, no Fredericks. Tyler Adams is working his way back, but it's probably still a week or two away. And I Emmy mean, Mark Condes is out, but I don't think he's actually registered for the season. Um this is a game where like Bournemouth's results have not matched their performances. Yeah. And thus far they've only taken the two points. They they started really well against Liverpool and gave Liverpool a big scare. Mm-hmm. but they lost. And and you would expect them to lose. They gave Spurs a good game, but they lost. And again, you kind of expect them to lose to Spurs. They probably should have beaten West Ham and they probably should have beaten Brentford. But at the same time, a point from both of those games, they're actually good results because they're two good teams. Especially the way West Ham have gone on. That's exactly it. West Ham have, have been better in the following three games. or Sorry, West Ham have won the following three games and They've won them quite comfortably, whereas Bournemouth gave them a real scare. So they show them they can, they can mix it with the top teams. Now Chelsea's a, a a mess at the moment. Obviously, Pochettino's still trying to figure out what his best team is, who he's got available. Still trying to find ways to score goals, which at the moment they're struggling with. I actually fancy Bournemouth for the win here. I'm going to pick Bournemouth. I'm going to say, I'm going to say two one to Bournemouth at home. Sunday kickoff. I'm I'm going to go two one to Bournemouth.
0: Yeah, and I, I know they get the extra day as well. But Moises and Enzo traveling thousands of miles as well. It's uh, that's really the thing. Yeah. and
1: en- and and Moises has not started the season well. Mm. Moises has not been good since going there. And look, I look, I've no doubt that he's going to figure it out. But then the thing is, the more I I ponder Chelsea and I ponder Chelsea quite a bit. Um, I've had a lot of time to ponder in the last couple of days and I've uh, found myself just scribbling things down about different clubs and just because I was trying to distract myself and I don't know that Enzo and Moises is is a particularly good fit because they're both outstanding and I, I think they're both going to be great players But they're both a little bit ponderous. There's no explosive athleticism between the two of them. Like Moises takes time to build up speed. Do you know who Moises reminds me about, of a bit? Do you remember when Emre Chan played for Liverpool and he was a little bit slow over that first three yards, but then over like 15 yards, he was once he got on moving.
0: Front
1: <laughs> yeah. Do you know, he was an absolute monster once he got moving. And Moises is the same. I remember last year, we played them at Anfield. We played Brighton at Anfield. And Salah picked the ball up on our right wing and he drifted past Caicedo and it made Caicedo look like he was stuck in the mud. And then mm. 10 yards later, Caicedo caught up to him and was moving at like a real rate of knots. But I just wonder, having two players in your midfield like that who aren't explosive I do wonder if it's the right balance. I really do. Now, I know he played with Alexis at at Brighton and and that worked really well. They also played with a centre back at right back. They also, that's the thing, they they were playing that back three behind. At Chelsea, they're going to send the full backs forward because it's Reese James, it's Chilwell. They've got to be sent forward. And an OAP at centre back. At centre back, plus, plus the style of play. And the keeper
0: can't sweep either. No,
1: well, that's the thing. Well, he he was the goalkeeper for a period of time at Brighton. He wasn't very good at it. And I got binned for a championship (laughs) goalkeeper. At best. But the thing is, like, with Brighton, the Deserby style of play, it allows you all of that rest on the ball. Whereas with Chelsea, Pochettino wants the ball progressed quite quickly. And then he wants it cycled back to Enzo. And I do just wonder if, like, Connor Gallagher's playing in there for a reason. And I do wonder if, if Potch has looked at it as well and thought, I don't know if I can do Enzo and Caicedo together. Is and like, the like
0: think Ogachukwu Oga
1: might be the one. He's got that burst over the first couple of yards. Lavia doesn't have it. Chuck Wemeka doesn't really have it. He's another one that it takes a couple of strides to really get moving. Hmm. It might be that Oguchukwu, and even then, like he can be a little bit gets his feet tangled and sort of trying to figure out why he's so tall. I don't know. I, I just, I have, I have some, I have a lot of questions about Chelsea. That I'm. It's probably one you want to fix in the defense. Rather fix than in the, the defense field. first. Now, look, you, you can, you can find ways around it. There's, there's a, there's a three four three for Chelsea when everybody's back fit with Fafana, Colwell, and Baddy as a back three, hmm. Reese James as a right wing back, maybe Ian Mattson as a left wing back, because I think he's more suited to that role than Chilwell, and then Enzo and Caicedo. And if you've got that back three and dynamic wing backs, you can get away with not having real speed and, and dynamism in central midfield. And then you play, say, Nkunku, and Sterling behind a nine. And I think that can mitigate some of the other issues. But the problem is, Baddy Sheila's hurt. Uh, Fafana's out for the season. Reese James is always injured. Chukw- uh, Nkunku's injured. And you don't have a goal scorer. And of course, the goalkeeper issue as well. Mm-hmm. But I do think that long term, if they could go in January and find the striker they want, maybe it's... Actually, I don't even know. Benjamin Sesko, maybe. Um, And then maybe next summer you can address the goalkeeper situation properly. Maybe Mike Magnon becomes available. And then you'll have a team. But that's a full year away. And we've seen with Todd Bowley. he, He gave Tuchel, what, five games? And then sacked him after spending a fortune. And then he sacked Graham Potter in April, having spent a ludicrous amount of money to buy him out of his Brighton contract a ludicrous amount of money to back him in the January, and then he sacked him to bring in Frank Lampard. So Mm. there's no rhyme or reason in what they're doing. And I do wonder, like, if if they go on a bad run here, and it's not outside the realms of possibility that, that it happens to them, because it can happen to anybody, but they get Bournemouth this weekend, then they've got Villa at home. Villa could beat them. They've got to go to Fulham. They could... Easily drop points there. They've got to go to Burnley. They could drop points there. Then they play Arsenal, Brentford, Spurs, City, Newcastle, Brighton, and United in a row. Ooh, That's a horrible seven-game run. And the United game is away. And United's home form under Ten Hag has been good. His away form is a mess. Then they go to Everton, which they should win, but... You know, Everton could be in full-blown desperation mode by then. Maybe they have a new manager who gets his new manager bounce. Big (laughs) stuff. But that's a really, really tough run. Like the next four games, if you're being honest, you'd say Chelsea should win them, but Mm -hmm. they might not. But after that, Arsenal, Brentford, Spurs, City... Newcastle, Brighton, United—that's really, really tough. A lot of the home
0: games aim game is for them as well, though, because it's it, got to be it, top four, surely? Yeah, absolutely. But you, I've heard like other podcasts and people say, "Oh, if they just look like they're progressing, it'll be fine and dandy." You've spent a billion pounds. Yeah, <laughs> they well, should be the season before you go on a title charge at the very exactly,
1: Baron. exactly. Like they should be lining up to win the title next season. Mm. so I don't think progression, like here's the thing, and I said this when Bowley came in, and I stand by this now if when Bowley came in he had said what we're going to do here is we're going to remodel this club entirely, we're going to bring in a data-led recruitment approach similar to what Liverpool and Brighton have mastered and Brentford as well and we're going to look to you know, find gems, but we're also going to back this academy that we've got we're going to put real faith in this academy of ours because this is the best academy in the world it pumps out talent we're going to do that and we're going to look for you know the 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 high end 18 19 year olds and and that's the one part they've done really well they've got in a bunch of really talented 18 and 19 year olds to develop and we'll see what happens with them if they'd done that and not spent a billion quid, if they'd spent maybe like 250 to 300 million on young players and, you know, potential undervalued gems, like if they'd found a Salah, a Mane, a album, a Firmino, those type of players, like you know, that same type of, of progression arc, then you could say, well, look, if he gets sixth this year, and and gets Europa League football, and then next season it's Champions League football, and then maybe you have another season where you establish yourself as a top four team, and then in the then in the, the fourth superstars. year, then yeah, then you start to yeah, when you've got Champions League, you can go for the the big hitters, the ready made, you know, your Van Dykes, your Allisons, mm-hmm, those yeah. type. Uh, yeah, go and get yourself a Victor Osman. Go and get a Mike Mannion. But the way they've done this, they have to go in January in the summer because there's also, remember, this is going to come home to hit them where they've spent all this money. They've they've just stuck two fingers up at the lawmakers of the game and said, well, we're not going to comply with any of the FFP or, or profit and sustainability rules. Here's two fingers to you and we're just going to carry on until you stop us.
0: And if they get back in one of the Europa competitions, they'll be under UEFA scrutiny exactly. again as well. Yeah. Exactly.
1: And like, what's to say that come April, the Premier League don't turn around and hand them a transfer ban?
0: Mm.
1: Could absolutely happen. They're already under I know there was
0: only whispers, but I've read Enzo may not fancy it as well.
1: No, I, know he's got
0: con- I know he's got a contract for 700 years,
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's kind the, of bugging there. The you know. best part about Enzo, right, is... So they sign Enzo. What they pay? 108 million? So, no, uh, I
0: think it was 120 euros, wasn't it? Sometimes.
1: Yeah. So like that was after six months in Europe. So they sign him. At the time, they sign him to, I believe, a seven-year contract, And then a couple of weeks later, they they extend his contract for the week, for the year. So he's contracted there until 2031. Enzo Fernandez is 22 years of age. He's 30 by the time that contract expires. So unfortunately for him, he doesn't really have an out here. Like...
0: I wonder if there's like a release clause after the seventh years.
1: Who knows? But like these contracts are already starting to haunt them a little bit because mm. you know, Mudrick, like let's be honest, it hasn't gone well. And I think I think he's he's got talent. He's just not good enough to be starting for a top six club in the Premier League. He's got a contract till twenty thirty one as well. Yeah. And they keep buying
0: people in his position in his as place. A, and yeah. they've
1: been linked with more of them. Mm. So they've got him for the next eight years. As things stand, looks like a massive flop. So you spent the better part of 90 million to get him. How do you get rid of him? Like the reason they still, they still own Keppa is not because they wanted to keep Keppa. It's because when they signed him, they gave him a seven year contract and nobody was willing to buy him. The other one is Wes Fafana. He's got six more years left in his contract. He's just suffered a a torn ACL. And if you look at his injury history, it's it's awful. Mm. 2019, knee injury, misses 17 games. 2019, knee injury, misses nine games. 2020, sorry, 2020, knee injury, misses five games. 2020, knee injury, misses one game. 2021, thigh muscle strain misses eight games. 2021, fibula fracture misses 63 games. 2022, knee injury misses 17 games. 2023, knee injury misses nine games. 2023, torn cruciate ligament. Gonna miss the whole season. So 40 odd games.
0: Like more than Maguire.
1: No, he was a little bit less. A little cheaper, right? Uh, he cost seventy-four million. Right. Okay. So a little bit less than Virgil. I mean, still, so it didn't make it a good
0: deal. <laughs> I was just no. wondering if he was the most expensive centre back.
1: No, it doesn't make it, a good, <clears throat> it. Doesn't make it a good deal at all. No, um,
0: but it, it's. I mean, it's just like I think everyone was a fan of Fafana when he was yeah. fit at Leicester, but to spend that much money on an injured. I think he was coming off a big, a big injury when they signed him, wasn't he? I, it just seemed, smelled of rushing into things and just panicking, which is the
1: whole reason we're in this situation. And do you know what the funny thing is as well, Guy, right? Is that Chelsea spent all this money. So they they clearly have all the financial power that they need. And yet they've done a bunch of massive money deadline day deals, which always reek mm. of a little bit of desperation. Like, he was one. He was a deadline day signing. Like, why didn't you buy him in the June or the July? Instead, you, you, you brought him in. It, it didn't go very, very well. He had a couple of ropey games. Then he got a knee injury. came back. He got an injury again into the summer and tore his ACL. Like, it's just... I feel I feel bad for the kid because he's only 22 he's a mm-hmm. huge prospect he was really good at Saint-Étienne him and Saliba were there together he looked good at Leicester but we should remember he joined Leicester in he was at Leicester for 2 years he only played 52 games and that was two of them were in the start of his third season
0: Mm. And in his in his absence, Sionchu and Evans established a good partnership for yeah. one of the seasons, if I remember correctly. is
1: They did, and and unfortunately for for Fafana, like it just it just had so many injuries. I, I I don't know. I just I think Chelsea are are spinning in circles, and I, I don't really see because it's because of Bowley. Like, if Pochettino was just going to be left alone for the next three years to just build a squad and he was just allowed maybe one signing per window, then I could see Chelsea becoming something very, very good. But Boley is so reactive and everything needs to be now. Everything has to be immediately. And he's obviously getting really bad advice from these recruitment people that he's hired who've very clearly just decided... This guy is really stupid, so what we're going to do here is we're going to play football manager and we're just going to buy all the players. But you look at their squad and there's just there's far too much of everything. You can't go into a season with three or four left-footed right-wingers because all that's going to happen is two of them aren't going to play and they're going to get annoyed and then that's going to drift into training and you're going to create a bad atmosphere and a bad atmosphere leads to a bad culture. And you'll get a culture of cry-arsing and people going knocking on doors saying, why am I not playing? I want to play. Then you'll get the agents saying, "Oh, well, well, my player's not playing, so what's going on here? Then they'll start to leak out that they're unhappy. And then all of a sudden you get more and more noise. And the last thing a manager needs when he's trying to rebuild a football club, as Pochettino is at Chelsea, is noise, is external noise. The well-run clubs have no external noise that reaches the manager. The badly run clubs have loads of it. The reason Liverpool were great for years is because none of that noise reached Klopp. The reason City are so good, the noise doesn't get to Pep. One of the reasons that Arsenal have improved is because what they have done is they've insulated Arteta and the noise doesn't get to him. And even like, obviously Arsenal, there's a a questionable scenario there at the moment, but there's very little noise about it. Now, part of that is obviously you can't name certain things, but... It is, you compare and contrast that to, you know, other clubs where maybe certain things have gone on and there's a lot more noise about it. Like, take for example, when an unnamed Premier League player was arrested on the eve of a season and then didn't play for his club again. And there was still lots of noise around that club. And that club have struggled against relegation in the last couple of seasons and look like they'll struggle again this season. Those are that's a badly run club, but well-run clubs, they don't, that noise doesn't get to the manager. It doesn't get to the players. Those they they, those players, that manager, they're in this bubble where it's just them. And that's it. They're working towards a goal, but at Chelsea right now and at, at other badly run clubs, that noise gets in and it distracts people. And it creates a bad environment, it creates a poor culture. And it doesn't lead to winning. It leads to well, we're gonna be on manager number four of the Todd Bowley range come January. Do you know? And that's including Lampard, of course, in the four. No, it's not. It's the fi- he would be the fifth manager, including Lampard. Tuchel, Potter, Lampard, Potch. Next guy. Um, yeah, we've spent enough time on Chelsea. Let's move on. I can't remember
0: what you said. I think he said Bournemouth to win.
1: <laughs> I did say Bournemouth <laughs> to win. Two yeah. one
0: Bournemouth. Um, don't know why this one on TV. Uh, Everton, Arsenal. I mean, you you mentioned uh, on your shows earlier in the week that you think Sean Dash might be the first manager to go in the in the season. But yeah, I think the logic is there. But they have to use I don't know maybe the good news of the ownership to to bounce back or something. But the the quality is just not there in the squad.
1: No, it's not there in the squad at all. It's not there at all, and you would hope, you would hope that the the news that Mashiri has has agreed to sell his ninety four percent stake in the club to seven seven partners, seven 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 partners, um, will will certainly lift the club, lift the fan base. Because one of the big things with Everton is they, their fans can really infect their team, both with joy but also with venom. And when it's toxic at Goodison Park it's probably the worst home ground in the country mm-hmm. because it really does have an effect on the players. When it's positive it can lift them. Like under Moyes for a number of years, under Roberto Martinez, they were Things are very positive there. Um, I'm curious to see how this this company move forward with how they run Everton. Obviously, they run Standard Liège, Hurt to Berlin, who have not not done well. Um, Vasco da Gama. They hold a, a stake in Sevilla. There is some questions from supporters of a number of those clubs, of how the clubs have been run. There have been protests. So it's not like they're coming in with a a remarkably good track record. It's just that they're not Machiri, and that's where the positivity will come in. Um, Home to Arsenal is just a horrible game for them right now. It's a horrible game for them to have at this stage. Because they desperately need points and Arsenal are obviously a good team. Uh, Arsenal will have no Partey, no Timber and no Elneny. So they will be weakened a little bit, but Everton have loads of injuries. Uh, no Deli Ali, no Seamus Coleman, no Jack Harrison, no Andre Gomes, no Michael Keane. Some of these are positive things. Uh, Lewis Dobbin, James Tarkovsky, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Jarrod Branthwaite should all be fine.
0: Who the hell's playing centre-back if they're not fine?
1: <laughs> if they're not fine, they're screwed. If, if Tarkovsky and Brantwaite aren't okay, they're in major bother now. We haven't gotten Deich's press conference yet. Um, Mikel Arteta says everyone at Arsenal is excited. About the Champions League, which maybe means they're kind of overlooking Everton a little bit. Uh, let's see what die Oh, here we go. Uh, Dyke says the takeover will have no impact on him and the players for the moment. Uh, da, 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 da. He says he doesn't know the group with any depth at all. The Burnley situation was different. They changed the modelling of the club. I didn't win enough games at Burnley. It was nothing to do with those in charge. We need to win more games now. So it sounds like it might be very similar, Sean. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know. I don't really know. I, I'm just going to say Arsenal to win because the logic tells me they should win. But Everton did turn them over at Goodison last year. and Everton can be big and physical and rough. And, you know, they can boot people up in the air and, Fulham did a decent job at unnerving Arsenal and maybe Everton can do the same. I'll go I'll go 2-0 to Arsenal but I would not be entirely surprised if if Everton won this game.
0: Yeah, maybe Arsenal still have Arsenal DNA in there somewhere. Mm.
1: Um they are a little bit soft. They are a little bit soft, that's undeniable.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um moving on to Monday then last game uh Forest whether it's the A team, the B team, the C team, the, <laughs> one of the hundred players they have against Burnley. Almost similarly, what I said um, against uh, about the Luton game, it's a good opportunity for Burnley to get their points on the board. But again, Forrest at home, it's what the home form is what kept them up last season. Um, and now we'll probably get to see the first um, time Sangaria, they're signing who they've been linked with for a few windows now, to be fair. So it's obviously long-term one. Um, and obviously, started the season relatively well.
1: Yeah, they have started the season well. They've they've started the season surprisingly well. Uh, six points from their four games, and very very unfortunate not to have more. They should have gotten a point at Arsenal. They beat Sheffield United. They should have gotten something at Old Trafford, and then they went and beat Chelsea away. And you know, like six points, they've played three of the big six, and they've played them all away the from home. So it's it's a pretty good return. They'll definitely want to win this one and you know continue that good start. But as you said, Burnley are not entering desperation mode or anything like that, but they do start need to start getting points. Now they've had a difficult start as well. And it is worth remembering they've played City, they've played Villa, and they've played Spurs. So two of the big six and a historically huge club in Villa, who are also, you know, top seven finisher last year. So Burnley have had a tough, tough, tough start, and it continues after this. They get United at home, and then Newcastle away. Um, so you know, it is, look, it's always tough when you need promoted. Everybody's bigger, everybody's better. Well, you've got to pick points up. Burnley have six players that are sorry, five players who are a doubt for this game. But Zaruri is back, which is big for them. Spent a lot of money to get him in. Got sent off on the opening day, but now he's back. Uh, Vitinho's a doubt Aaron Ramsey's still working his way back Obafemi is out Shirlenev is out and Ekdal is out Forrest who spent all of last season plagued by injuries are only missing Wayne Hennessy and potentially Daniil so they should be fairly strong they're at home it's Monday night under the lights I'm going to go for the Forest win I think it'll be a decent enough game to be fair I'll go 3-1 to Forrest and that was the last game and that's that. That is us for the week. Uh, next week, I'm not really sure how the schedule is going to look because I just have a lot that needs to be taken care of. So it's kind of an as and when. Uh, th- there's definitely at least one or two days where I won't be here and it's possible that they're at the start of the week and then I'll be back. But, uh, yeah, it's it's play it by year, unfortunately, from here. Just for the next little while while we get through some stuff. um. So, yeah, thank you all for listening. Thank you to Guy. And we will see you next week, whenever that's going to be. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.